Hello and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for anyone who loves cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Julia, I I know I say this all the time, but I'm truly excited. The chickens have come home to roost. It has finally happened. Our podcast is now fully whole. You know what I mean? I, do you feel it? Our third co-host is here. Is finally here. The person we traded for, our newest member, team member, is now a guest on our podcast. I'm so excited. It's Neil Fisher, everybody. Hello. Hi, Neil. Hello. Well, applause, applause, applause. Ah, screaming. First of all, I, I'm happy to be here. I'm honored. Second of all, it was just contract negotiations. It's all figured out now. And That's true. Uh, thirdly, I don't know if even you knew this, but I actually play the congas in your intro. I don't know if anyone oh, else knows wow. that. So that's no. me. That's me. Wow, that's amazing. That. You know what? And honestly, I, you know, I, when John Spees sent it to us, I was like, I don't know what it is, but I think it's the congas that are really like selling this for me so that's 100 you and that's great and i'm so excited we're so excited to have you on the show this is i think you're our first and probably only triviality member that's a, that's a safe bet that's a yeah safe that's bet. a safe bet yeah we're not getting uh we're not getting jeff on here anytime soon to wax poetic about all the things he knows about am i right <laughs> he doesn't listen to this podcast so of course <laughs> yes you might recognize this wonderful melodious voice coming at melodious. you as as Neil from Triviality Podcast. But Neil is not just a podcaster, everybody. No, no. No, he is a director, a comic writer, a bon vivant, if you will. And he's also an author. Is that true, Neil? That is true. <laughs> that is true. I wrote my, my first book uh, uh, over the pandemic. So yeah, this is going to be my first book coming out pretty soon. Please tell us about your book. We're very excited about this. So the book uh, is called Being Patrick Swayze, Essential Teachings for the Master of the Mullet. Uh, if you listen to Triviality, you know that we talk about Patrick Swayze all the time. There's a Roadhouse mm -hmm. poster in our studio. Uh, and I thought uh, there's no books about Patrick Swayze other than an autobiography. And I'd love to write an accessible, fun gift book that uh, people can give as gifts or, or have in their collection if they're a movie collector. Um, and it's going to be released by Chronicle Books, which is a great publisher. Uh, some of my favorite books are from Chronicle. And it's coming out April 26th. Uh, so this month, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's an illustrated gift book, my comedic love letter to Patrick Swayze. And the, the best way I can describe it is I broke down his life and career into five elements that I call Feng Shuizi. And, um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, so basically, they're, uh, the first one is Tender Strength, which is covering the versatility in his performances and balance mm. of his skills. Because yes. uh, he's always tender, but also tough. Um, mm -hmm. Then uh, Pure Adrenaline, uh, which is his dedication to his physicality and death-defying stunt work. Yes. Uh, hungry Eyes, my favorite. Uh, <laughs> his effortless sensuality in life and on screen. Mm. I love You're nothing more me. than effortless sensuality. Right? Oh, I wish I had it. You can't teach it. You can't teach it. <laughs> no. You're born with it, 100%. Like Maybelline. So, And Peaceful Warrior. <laughs> Um, the philosophy behind his characters and their actions, and uh, finally, the mullet, which is the legacy of the man, the myth, and the mullet. So those are the five uh, ways that I've split his career up. And then there's trivia, games, essays, um, some quizzes, all that, all that good stuff. So I hope people will enjoy it. And the artwork I, is beautiful. The artwork is very beautiful. Um, yes. When Neil and Colleen were in town visiting us last summer, we got to see a little sneak preview. 
That's what you get when you're friends with celebrities, everybody. Uh, sneak preview of the book. And it was so beautiful on top of everything else. About it top of being very funny and weirdly informative. Because usually <laughs> with books like that. <laughs> usually, you know, like I used to work at a little bookstore called mm, Schmarts and Bubble. And sometimes uh, comedy books are just kind of like, eh, this person's funny or weird or whatever. And it doesn't provide any information. But so you did a lot get... cut out. A lot cut out. Yeah. So. <laughs> So you didn't have Lauren blurb your book. Quote, <laughs> Lauren called this, quote, weirdly informative. I, I wish it was I wish it was on the book. Um, and yeah, shout out to uh, Kyle Hilton as the illustrator. He does a lot of stuff for like Hollywood mm. Reporter, Entertainment Weekly, and he's really talented. Uh, I think he's on Instagram, uh, Kyle Hilto on Instagram. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just a great process. And um, yeah, I had a lot cut because I, I wrote a lot more than it probably needed. But I, I mm-hmm. think I made it longer than a normal gift book, which I hope is is good for fans of Swayze. It's, uh, you know, value. Yeah, right, yeah, you exactly. get value. Exactly. Two for one. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've pre-ordered my copies. Mm-hmm. Julia, have you mm-hmm. pre-ordered? Hey, where two. can people two pre-order? Two copies. Two, yeah, two copies. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, course. so it's basically, uh, it's anywhere you can find books normally. So it's at your Amazon. Um, if you want to get it from Goodreads, you can go to bookshop.org to help out indie bookstores, uh, which is really great. That's very helpful. Um, it's at Target, Barnes and Noble, um, basically anywhere you can find your books. But you know, if, if you have an independent bookshop, you can uh, just go there, and I, I think it'd be great just to, to help out the small shops because that's where I'm going to buy my copy. So, yeah, I love and this. definitely if you are interested, please pre-order. That helps um, authors and publishers know that um, the author is in demand, and so you know we could maybe as a group get Neil a second book in the works, and then we could have. Um, a very famous author on our podcast permanently because he's part of our podcast now, <laughs> as you well know. I've always um, been here, just in the background. Yeah, the that's background. true. <laughs> but because of contract negotiations, now is the first time you right. can hear your voice. We get it's it. A thing. We get it. It's like a Marnie Nixon situation, Natalie yes. Wood. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, you kind of gave it away, but you are here to tell us a little bit about a topic. So what, Neil, what is your topic today? <laughs> So my topic is Che Guevara. Oh wow! Um, Ooh, <laughs> kind of that be, feel. Viva la revolution! Yes. Uh, no, the topic is uh, Patrick Swayze, and um, I'm going to hopefully tell you things that you didn't know about him because he had a, a very interesting upbringing that sort of informed all of his movies. Um, you know him from his big movies. You know that he was a, a great dancer, a great performer. But I hope to uh, give you a lot of information that you might not have known, and then um, just gloss over a few of uh, his hits and some trivia. So we're talking about Patrick Swayze. <laughs> So Patrick Wayne Swayze was born on August 18th, 1952 in Houston, Texas, to Jesse Wayne Swayze and Patsy Swayze, nay Carnes. Uh, His mother was an accomplished choreographer and ran the Swayze Dance Studio in Houston and choreographed for some feature films uh, you might have heard of, Urban Cowboy and Thelma and Louise. Oh, wow. Oh, no, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yes. Uh, His father, Jesse, was a former Golden Gloves boxer turned butcher turned engineering draftsman who Swayze would often refer to as a gentle cowboy due to his laid back, stable and nurturing approach to parenting. His his dad was known as Buddy to everyone and Swayze in turn was known as Little Buddy. And one of my favorite (laughs) facts is for the rest of his life, if he called you a friend, you called him Buddy, not Patrick. Oh, that's so that's so lovely. Little Buddy. Little Buddy. 
Uh, so Jesse, his father, his nurturing style of parenting was in contrast to his mother, who deployed a tough love approach and eventually imparted her choreographer perfectionism on Swayze from a very young mm. age. Uh, and he's often said that his mother named him Patrick Swayze because she could see those syllables on a marquee. So she was right. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So she had a premonition there. Uh, so Swayze's early life is really what made him a well-rounded triple threat performer, like I was saying. Uh, he had hours and hours of instruction at the dance studio, uh, gymnastics lessons, played violin, performed in plays and musicals, engaged in sports like football, martial arts, skating, and diving, and he was even an Eagle Scout. So... Where did he find the time? I don't know what I did in high I still don't remember what I did in high school. It certainly wasn't any of that. We're driving around with Andres going to the Burger King. Yes, we would go to Burger King. Thank you for remembering. <laughs> well, see, we were we were not uh, getting our Eagle Scout certification. I was in a car uh, from the musical when we fit 10 people into a Chevy Cavalier. Uh, and oh. one of them was in the trunk. So that's what we were doing in high school. <laughs> Uh, and he he lit a lighter for some reason. He couldn't breathe and was banging on the door. So that was a lesson for everyone. Don't light a lighter in the back of a trunk. Because so. <laughs> he almost died. Oh, my God. That's terrible. I I, yeah. Now that man is the CEO of Chase Bank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just goes to show. <laughs> uh, so uh, all this makes sense if you consider his hero was pulp character Doc Savage, who was a renaissance man, an explorer, scientist, inventor, martial arts expert, and master of disguise. So it all kind of makes sense. He was obsessed mm. with Doc Savage and uh, wanting to be a master of many trades. Um, one of my favorite facts I learned about him uh, was from ex uh, an experience of his growing up. This is pretty crazy. I When I read this, I just thought it was a product of its time, but it's a, an amazing story. Walking to school uh, with his long hair and dance shoes, violin over his shoulder, he would often get called names, especially the three-letter F-word, uh, by classmates, and picked on for being artistic in rough-and-tumble Texas. One day when he was 12, he was jumped by five boys at school and beaten, almost to a pulp. Uh, he went home, told his dad, and Jesse decided to teach him how to box and defend himself by enrolling him in martial arts. A couple months later, his dad went to the football coach's office and said, Buddy deserved a fair fight and told the coach to pull the five boys who beat him out of class so they could settle the, the disagreement fair and square in the weight shack. What? Uh, <laughs> in the weight shack. Uh, so it was a different time. Then Swayze, uh, initially they had boxing gloves, and, and his dad said, actually, you're not going to need those. And then Swayze faced off each boy one-on-one, -on -one, dispatching them all. And his father left him with this advice. Buddy, if I ever see you start a fight, I'll kick your ass. And if I ever see you not finish a fight, I'll kick your ass. So. Whoa. Insane. Uh, <laughs> whoa. That is such a, like, 1960s thing to do. It just feels so. It feels both. It feels both, like, super masculine and also kind of camp. <laughs> so it almost seems kind fake. Of like, yeah. 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 It almost seems fake. Yeah. Can you uh, imagine a started... teacher being like, yeah, Ned, Jim, Teddy, get out there. You, you got to go fight <laughs> this fight kid him. in the weight shack. In the weight, I love the name weight shack. Uh, and nowadays, you know, you'd have to go to the school board. They'd have to have a meeting. <laughs> yeah. They'd have to vote on it. Can, can Swayze <laughs> fight these five boys? Should maybe. You well, know, Mr. It, Swayze wouldn't have been allowed like in the building to begin with. No. So it's just. That's true. Definitely not. He would have been arrested. <laughs> that is true. Um. So by this point in his life, Swayze was already an elite dancer and uh, was even teaching at his mother's studio. She had a very popular studio in Houston, the best one in the South, um, great students. Uh, and so he had received many scholarships to study with places like the Joffrey Ballet and the American Ballet Theater Company oh, in wow. New York City. 
So pretty big stuff. Uh, he turned him down, though, so he could focus on his dance training at home, but it'd be available for sports because he actually considered leaving the arts altogether for athletics. Uh, and this is where his life kind of took a turn. Um, on Halloween, his senior year of high school, he was playing a football game. There were scouts in the stands. Uh, he was super excited. It was his second to last football game of the year. And uh, during a play, he got tackled by two opposing players simultaneously while his leg was planted. And uh, trigger warning for anyone who doesn't like anything gross, his left knee broke inward, uh, <gasps> ripping most of the ligaments in half and practically destroying his joint. Whoa! Yeah. So um, a crazy story that he tells is that his coach came up to him, sort of a rough, rough, you know, redneck, he called him and said, oh, too much dancing, Swayze, huh? And he tried to get back in the game. He couldn't walk. Uh, and then he'd spend three months in a hip-to-toe cast that left his leg completely atrophied. Sure, yeah. Couldn't get um, back in the game because his knee broke. Yes, literally, I, I, it, I, it broke. An actual... Yeah. supporting joint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he, he often recalled, too, that he heard his mom in the other room sobbing and saying uh, his life is over, his life is over. So he was sort oh of my God. inspired by that. You can tell him he's very ambitious, so he didn't want that to, to get him down. So yeah. um, I would have said I'm packing it in. I'll go work uh, at the gas station or something in a yep. chair and never move. Um, <laughs> but it was just another challenge for him that he wanted to overcome. So right after that injury, he rehabbed his way back up. Um, and accepted a uh, gymnastic scholarship to uh, San Jacinto Junior College and was coached by a former U.S. women's gymnastics coach who had high hopes for him until, sorry, oh, no. one competition in, um, he was trying to sort of exert his dominance and the great moves that he could do um, to the other competitors. And he did a move and he fell on the leg and it all happened again. He had to repeat oh, the surgery, no. the cast and the recovery process. <clears throat> Um, so yeah, he kept trying to get further and further away from dancing, but at that point, um, uh, you know, it was practically his birthright. He, he realized that, uh, performing was his true calling, even though he would always love athletics and try to be involved mm -hmm. in athletics, but he, he was very close. He almost, wow. his coach thought he could have been Olympic bound, but. Wow. I mean, the fact that a single human person could have those just any of those choices, <laughs> you know, like I could yeah. go into professional sports or the Olympics, or I could be a professional dancer, like, and then have a, like a traumatic injury like that twice and then still be as successful as he was is, is astounding. It's like the craziest thing in the whole wide world. He must've been enormously focused. Yeah. I, I think his whole life was sort of driven by, um, he wanted to find skills and whatever they were, he wanted to master them and get, be the, become the best and then figure out another skill. And a lot of that he actually got from his dad. Uh, his dad was like sort of a true cowboy in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like he was great at, you know, taking care of horses and manual labor, all this kind of stuff. His mom was, was great in the arts and she was actually sort of on top of him, uh, most of his life, uh, just very demanding, just like a, you would imagine, like a very strict dance teacher would be, yeah. um, one of the stories actually that I love that I'll just kind of fit in here is one of the people who gave me a quote for the book is actress Melora Hardin, who played Jan mm. on The Office. Oh, yeah. Um, she was actually one of Swayze's uh, jazz dance students when he was teaching at his mom's studio because she's from Houston. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I thought was crazy. And then a sort of full circle moment, um, she saw him at the Oscars one year. He recognized her. She was dancing in the background uh, of a dance number for the Oscars. And then she was actually on a short-lived TV show uh, that was the Dirty Dancing TV show that only lasted one season. She played baby. Mm. Oh. How weird. It <laughs> yeah. just kept intersecting. Right. That's yeah, cool. Pretty cool. Um, and th this is a great fact. So his first professional gig was actually portraying Prince Charming in the Disney on Parade traveling show where he was paid $125 a week. Wow. 
Yes. He was uh, handsome enough. Yeah, yeah, he was. It was all over the world too. So I don't even know like what kind of dancing was involved or, or what, but I'm sure it was pretty sweet. Um, and when that was over, he decided, you know what? I'm going to go to New York City. Um, I have a scholarship to the Harkness Ballet Company. And uh, he decided to do that. Um, he was a little worried about his knee holding up because, I mean, he's only 19, 20, and his knee was still uh, really bugging him. But um, yeah. he fought through the pain. They had like six classes a day, uh, rigorous oh. dancing that uh, actually had to have him uh, get his knee uh, drained nightly because it was swelling <gasps> up every day <laughs> from liquid. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. There's a lot of knee stuff going on in this in this history. but Who knew this would be a gross episode, Joel? <laughs> I know. I I didn't either, but this is all stuff that I didn't even know, you know, oh, about yeah. him. And I didn't put in the book too much, but um, yeah. And, and of course, it's going to get a little darker. So the, the worst possible outcome almost came to fruition because um, he got a tooth infection and he was oh. so poor that he either had to buy food so he could eat and go to class or he could buy antibiotics. And he decided to get food, uh, not take his antibiotics or enough of them at least. And uh, his infection from his tooth turned into a staph infection that spread to his bad knee. Oh, what? Yes. So uh, he he went to a doctor and the doctor said, if you wouldn't have come in when you did, it, a week later, I probably would have had to amputate your knee. Oh my Whoa. God. Your leg. Yeah. And this is like, you know, this guy's a, an incredible dancer and right there he's like freaking out because he could have lost his leg. Um, and and you that know, on, yeah. Let that be a lesson to us all. Good oral hygiene is very important. Brush your teeth, everybody. Floss. Go to the dentist. I know I'm anti. I'm an anti dentite, but seriously, <laughs> like, take good care. This is a really everyone. hard stance again that Lauren's taking on the podcast. <laughs> Just don't give Lauren your Super Bowl tickets because she'll waste them. <laughs> Sorry, I'm that's very a controversial. Reference, but... <laughs> I'm very controversial. <laughs> So Please after continue. that happened, uh, basically he was trying to figure out, you know, how to make money. He worked at a Hallmark store. He worked at a bunch of different odd jobs. He played guitar in Greenwich Village and, and busked and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, but Rebecca Harkness, the namesake of the dance company, who was an oil heiress, um, specifically, and I'm, I'm sure I know why, requested him to be the model for a giant mural being painted on the ceiling of the Harkness Theater that was being built at Lincoln Center. Um, <laughs> it, it was called Homage to Terpsichore. And Time Magazine called it an agonized, thrusting morass of naked dancers. Ooh. Because he was naked, and Swayze um, was every naked dancer on the mural. He was the body for everyone. And there's a was ton of naked really? dancers. Yes. That's amazing. Oh, is the mural amazing. still there? Uh, it is not still there, okay. but you can Google it um, and you can see what it looks like. <laughs> Lauren is, is doing that now. And Lauren. I believe the artist's name was Enrique Sani, S E N I S dash Oliver. Um, is the artist's name? Uh, so what's yeah, the he, name of what's the name called, of the piece again? Um, homage to Terpsichore. So I'm curious to see oh, what your first it. impression is. Let's see. Uh, let's see here. Images. Oh, it's only in black and white. It seems Harkness Theater. There is a lot of buttock action. Wow, there's a lot of butts. Wow. Oh my! Is that all Swayze? Ooh. All of it is Swayze. Yeah, you can buy a print of it for twenty eight dollars. Everybody, just as an FYI, you could also get they a take tote PayPal? of it. They <laughs> do take PayPal. They do take PayPal. Um. Wow! And you can really zoom in a three. Ooh, this is a full resolution preview of it. 
Wow. Well, Julia's gotta... gonna Julia's gonna get a mug so she can drink out of Swayze's buttocks every day. I love that. Don't I dare mean, me. Can... I'll do it. Can I tell you something? The booties are pert. They are uh, rotund. They're they're quite juicy. I will say, it's it's a good look. It is very like when was this? When was this painted? 70, this sev- 70s? early seventies. Yeah, like 72, 70, maybe seventy three. Yeah. It has a very like summer of love quality to it where the dancers are literally like flying. They have these, you know, beautiful, like live muscular uh, qualities to them. There's one guy flying and he's got a great little butt and it's just like beautiful back muscles. Incredible. And he's the body in all of them. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So I, I love that story. Um, and during all this time, actually, he was actually writing back home to Lisa Niemi, who ended up becoming his wife. He met her when she was a student at his mother's studio. He was a teacher. She was 14. He was 19. You know, obviously the age difference was was weird, so they didn't do anything. He went off to New York, but they kept in touch. And um, she was, to him, the only girl who didn't care who he was and always sort of made fun of him because of girls flirting with him. Like, she rolled her eyes at it. She didn't care, so it really intrigued him. Uh, and then five years later, um, they would get married, and she would become his closest confidant and creative partner until his death, helping with scripts and projects, all that good stuff. That's so lovely. Uh, so they it's lived together. Nice um, they were very poor. Uh, they did a lot of weird jobs. Like they were carpenters. They would build dog houses and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he was still kind of working his way up. He got his first stint on Broadway as a principal dancer in the show Good Time Charlie, which starred uh, legend Joel Gray. Hmm. Uh, and then backstage at the show one night, Joel introduced him to his daughter, who wanted to be an actress, Jennifer, who he would work with a couple uh, years later. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh. Look at that. So kind of a universe uh, intersecting again for him. Uh, and then also what I thought was fun is he starred as Danny Zuko as a replacement in Greece on Broadway. And he danced with the prestigious Elliot Feld Ballet. But the uh, schedule and physical toll of that and the dancing in New York was just a little too much for him. And he mm. wanted a change. He actually got offered to uh, dance with Mikhail Baryshnikov. And wow. his, knee, his knee was killing him. And he was so um, worried that his knee would give out again. Um, he actually had a motorcycle accident too, where he almost died, uh, in New York. And he thought to himself, I almost lost my leg. I almost died. I, I don't want to put myself in this kind of danger for my career anymore. And so he's like, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to try acting in, in movies and TV. Mm. Uh, so we all just need a motorcycle accident is what it sounds like to get our asses <laughs> in the gear. Yeah, yeah. To really pursue what we want to do. Mm. I had a motorcycle before. Did you know that I own one? You own a you own I a motorcycle? Did. Not, any, not anymore. I did though for a while, for about two years. Yeah. Did you did you drive it or? I rode it. Yeah, I rode it. I, Colleen rode on the back of it with me, and um, yeah, it wasn't like a huge one. It was a it was a Honda CB two fifty. So it was kind of a small bike, but I'd zip around and you know give do the old motorcycle were hello with gang? like the two fingers. Were you? I in may a or gang? may not you have been have in a game. You have to tell us you were. May or oh may not. Oh my god! Been. Did you have a leather jacket with something on the back? Oh of my it? god! I, I did have a leather jacket. On the back of it was a Twinkie with cherub wings, and it just okay. said "sweet as Cupid." <laughs> yeah. I you know what I don't that's know our boy. where the that's our boy that's our that's our co-host. We love him. Uh, I don't know where the the truth began and the lie started or but you know what i love all of it i'm living i'm laughing Good. i'm loving so i believe it wonderful <laughs> ask, ask colleen she'll tell you we, we we zipped around a little bit i drove her to her when she was waitressing i'd drop her off at the restaurant and be like all right babe have a great Whoa. have a great night of work 
Well, her boss would come out, give him the old like, "What's up, chief?" You know that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, did you, you have reference? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, you have to say chief though when you're on a motorcycle because I feel like absolutely. Yeah. So no, I think wear a white T-shirt with the sleeves rolled up and your cigarettes <laughs> stuck in your. Speaking sleeve. of that, not to derail too much, but we had a grease day at school when I was at Camark School, right? When I was um, 11 years old, maybe. Is my mom's favorite movie of all time. She saw it like 20 times in the theater. I love Grease, my favorite movie musical. And I said, oh, I have to go to his Grease Day or 50 days, 50s Day, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, you should you know, dress like Danny Zuko. So she gave me a white T-shirt, jeans. And then she's like, I'll just give you a pack of, an empty pack of my cigarettes. And she rolled them up on my sleeve. Oh boy. Never got called to the principal's office my entire career. Uh, principal Polici wants to see you in the office. I'm like, oh, what's going on? You can't have a pack of cigarettes <laughs> in your shirt. You're 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> So you had what? to call I wasn't my mom. Smoking them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't like, you know, smoke them if you got them. I should have just been like, well, do you want one? You know? <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> sorry to derail wow. the listeners here uh, with my my past here. I should write a memoir, is what I really need to do. No, if I, I am. Me the chance. We're, We're learning a picture. so much. <laughs> I love it. Um, so uh, speaking of gangs, um, Swayze would move to Los Angeles and his first film role was in a little little scene movie called Skate Town USA in 1979. Uh, he was Ace Johnson, the leader of a disco roller skating gang known as the West Side Rollers. Uh, what do you mean had, little scene movie? I know. It's I, it's a shame. This is a, it's a shame. Blockbuster. classic. I got to well, see it. Check out this cast. It had Swayze, Maureen McCormick, TV's Marsha Brady, and everyone's favorite former child star turned political pundit, Scott Bayo. So stacked wow. cast. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have to try and find that. Well, it is on Blu-ray. They, they put it on Whoa. Blu-ray. Swayze would joke that he hoped the negative was lost, but they actually found it. <laughs> they put it on Blu-ray. They remastered it. Um, and Columbia Pictures actually offered him a multi-picture deal to do more Teen Idol-type movies like that, but he turned them down because he didn't want to be typecast and he wanted to carve his own path and do a diverse mm. slate of of projects the rest of his career. So that was sort of a big thing with him. If any movie seemed like it was, you know, if he did the movie and it was a, a success and they would ask him to do another one, he'd go like left, like a hard left to something uh, else. Oh, sure, yeah. And it didn't work all the time. He has a lot of misses, but um, that was sort sure. of his his mantra. After That's Skate, awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at some of his movies, you can tell that like they didn't turn out great, but at least he... Gave it a shot, I think. Yeah, of course. After Skate Town, he went on to make some TV appearances and television movies. He did a series called The Renegades that gave him enough money to buy his first car, which was a DeLorean. He called his wife from the dealership and said, I just bought a DeLorean when they didn't have any money, but he just got paid for this TV series. I got to tell you, it wasn't, it was probably like 2018 before I realized that was actually a real car type of car <laughs> that a consumer could go and purchase in and the purchase. 80s. I thought yeah. it was just a, I thought it was just from Back to the Future. <laughs> just a movie prop? <laughs> I mean, why? I mean, you've, you don't see them on the road anymore, so why would yeah. you think that? Yeah. And, and they're sort of notoriously um, junky or don't work as well as they should, so it it, yeah. it does make sense that you would want it to be like it is in Back to the Future, but then when you get it, whatever, it only went like 60 miles an hour, I can't remember, but... Yeah, it was like garbage. It would break down all the time. I guess they're coming out with a uh, electric version of that, possibly, I heard. I don't know. It was a rumor. Mm-hmm. Rumors. Right. Rumor has it. <laughs> As Adele says. Um, <laughs> uh, it's true. So Adele does say that. She, she says it Julia, all the time. Julia has fallen out. She, she loved that joke. It's like, Adele, uh, what, what would you like tonight? We have some specials. We have a salmon. We have a, a beef wellington. Rumor has it that you have a nice salad. You know, it's just her always saying rumor has it. It's like her catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, of course. 
We'll talk about Adele later. Um, yeah, yeah, we can. So he did the Renegades. Uh, he was actually on a notable appearance uh, on MASH, where he ironically played a soldier with terminal cancer, but he got great reviews for that. Oh, wow. Uh, the period ended up life-changing for Swayze, though, not because um, because of some of the work that he was doing, but his father actually had a massive heart attack uh, and died oh my at 57. God. Oh, um, bud. So, yeah, and it hit him terribly because that was the man who taught yeah. him to love the outdoors. His code of honor was a steady rock and... Um, Swayze at that point, this is early eighties. He really didn't know how to handle it. And so he turned to drinking, um, mm. unfortunately. Uh, and he wasn't much of a drinker before that, but he always said that he drove, he drank in response to emotional difficulty because growing up in Texas, uh, you know, rough Texas and whatnot, everyone was always told to keep their feelings inside. Mm-hmm. And so mm. he, uh, yeah, he decided to drink. It would kind of rear its head a little bit later, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, the best way he knew how to deal with trauma, though, um, kind of like we were talking about, is he would work as hard as he could. So the next big role that he got was as Daryl Derry Curtis, the makeshift patriarch and older brother to Soda Pop and Pony Boy in Francis Ford Coppola's adaptation of S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders in 1983. Oh. And I, I don't know if... Have you seen that? Have you seen the adaptation? No, I didn't even... Honestly, it, I don't think it ever hit my radar. I knew I knew about the book, but I didn't know... That they made a movie about it, I guess. But I'm not a movie person. I mean, well, I think I can sell you. you on it. I can sell you on this. Okay. The film starred a veritable who's who of 1980s men: <gasps> Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Tom yes. Cruise, Ralph Macchio, C. Thomas Howell, Emilio Estevez, Matt Dillon, Leif Garrett, and then uh, in one of her early roles uh, as Sherry Cherry Valance, a young Diane Lane, who's always effervescent. Leif Garrett, damn, that's I haven't thought I haven't about him in a. Yeah. Ooh. Hung out with him drunk once at a bar in Los Angeles. Did you really? Yes. I didn't know it was him at first, but he kept telling everyone who he was, and then I figured <laughs> it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he seemed like the type to be like, hey, you know who I am. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially in an empty bar with like 12 people in it. But oh, old Hollywood. Sad. Yeah, what are you going to do? Back when pictures made the town. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the, the film was made in and around Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, which, uh, is pretty cool because you can actually go there and you can visit a refurbished version of the Curtis household. that's now called the Outsiders Museum. And it was saved by House of Pain's founding member, Danny Boy O'Connor. And they do events there all the time. You can watch the movie, you see Thomas Howell will come and play country music. There's a gift shop, all that good stuff. So hoping to visit. Wow. Oklahoma though. Yeah, there's a lot of, they shot a lot of movies of S.E. Hinton's there. Uh, Rumblefish, I believe, maybe Tex. Uh, but they have like a tour, I guess you can go on. Of oh, all for movies. all the S.E. Hinton fans. Yeah, the S.E. Hinton uh, extended universe, as they call it. Yes, of That's course. what I hear. That's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Swayze would follow that up with a Vietnam War movie called Uncommon Valor. Sort of a, another little scene movie. Um, but it's starring uh, Gene Hackman, who grabs a ragtag group of soldiers to look for his missing son, and my favorite fact about this movie that I learned was that Gene Hackman uh, was actually a Marine a- in real life, and he lied about his age to enlist at 16, which I thought was pretty badass. Oh. Yeah. Back uh, and in he's the a day, men were men, and they wanted to... <laughs> Children were soldiers. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you could handle a machine gun, you were ready. Yikes. Uh, so after that film, he sort of stayed in that war mood um his next big role was 1983's red dawn mm-hmm. the film that uh, followed a group of kids resisting an invasion on american soil from the soviet union and their cuban and nicaraguan allies um, and you might know this the film is often remembered for the rallying cry wolverines 
which was the American Guerrilla Fighters uh, adopted uh, calling card mascot from their high school. So mm. anytime we ever hear anyone yell Wolverines, it's a reference to Red Dawn. It might be good for for trivia. I just hey. I was started. I was trying to think of of the rallying cry while you introduced it so that I could pop in and say it. But all I could think of was Goonies never say die. And I was like, no, Julia, that's the Goonies. <laughs> Imagine if Cindy Lauper had done a Red Dawn soundtrack. Now that would have been really interesting. That would have been really interesting. I would have loved to have seen her stretch her yeah. talents in that direction. Something serious, warlike, you know. Yeah, a little like sort of pro-war, <laughs> yes, pro-war exactly. kinky boots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like a pro-war kinky boots. That's how <laughs> That's a it great pitch meeting, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the film actually did have a remake. Um, it was a commercial success when it came out, and then in 2012, they wanted to do it again, and they had a poorly received remake starring Chris Hemsworth um, mm. that was released and failed to achieve any of the same notoriety. Um, it did get 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, though, so it wasn't zero. <laughs> great. <laughs> it's just one of those things that, did we need a remake of it yeah. do we need a remake of it that's you you should be the voice in every hollywood exec's ear because uh, that's sort of the truth from there. your lips to god's mouth <laughs> my favorite thing is that that movie apparently china was going to be the antagonist and when they finished the movie china was kind of all up in arms about it because they're you know anti-china propaganda and so in post-production, they changed it to North Korea so that they could get into China and get it released in China because oh, all sure. Hollywood cares about now is making money yeah. in China. So they changed it to North Korea, still didn't get into China. <laughs> so didn't help. <laughs> uh, That's what you get for pandering. There, exactly. I thought for a second you said pandaing, and I was like, is that like a China it's, pandering it's joke? It's a China thing. <laughs> no. I enjoyed it, though. Um, all those jokes at the expense of pandering express. Um <laughs> So Red Dawn was also the first time Swayze worked with Jennifer Grey, who he met uh, at Good Time Charlie backstage, as I said. The pair actually didn't have the best relationship on set due to director John Milius telling Swayze, who is the oldest and most experienced actor, to basically stay in character as the leader of the kids and help him give direction and, and wrangle all of the actors. So this bossiness rubbed Grey the wrong way, and it sort of ruined any chance of them having a working or friendly relationship mm -hmm. on set. Like, they kind of got along, but... She just didn't like him, and Leah Thompson, who also was in the movie, felt the same way. So at least until uh, 1987, when they would need some sexy chemistry, which we'll get to in a minute. After Red Dawn, uh, Swayze returned to TV for a massive miniseries, sort of a soap opera epic, Gone with the Wind type miniseries called North and South, based on the book by uh, John Jakes. It was a series of books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and the first installment still remains the seventh highest rated miniseries in TV history, which I thought was fascinating. What? Oh. It tells the story of two soldiers, one from Pennsylvania and the other from South Carolina, Swayze, who become friends at West Point and then are thrown to opposing sides during the Civil War. Um, yeah, he kissed Kirstie Alley in that. Oh, um, Leslie Ann Down, um, David Carradine was in it. There's a story about uh, they, they were all drunk one night partying at the hotel, and uh, he doesn't remember what happened, but someone told him the next morning that he was uh, pretend kung fu fighting with David Carradine on the ledge of a hotel um, <laughs> with a bottle in his hand. So Woo. escaping death once more. <laughs> wow. Um, he, he returned to film in 1986 playing hockey player Derek Sutton in a movie called Youngblood featuring a character named Dean Youngblood played by Rob Lowe who was a hotshot hockey player who joined the Hamilton Mustangs hockey team. When Sutton is severely injured, Youngblood must step in and avenge his friend and lead the team to victory. And this 
movie holds a special uh, place in my heart because this was the first exposure I had to Swayze because my aunt would babysit me and she had this on VHS and I would watch it over and over again. Anytime she babysat me, I would watch this movie, including the Rob Lowe sex scene where you see his buttocks, um, more buttocks in this episode. (laughs) It's a buttocks buttocks heavy heavy episode. Yeah. Um, But he's very sweaty that you can tell it's manufactured sweat. They're by a fire. It's like... It's a little too much, but I now when I see it, it, it kind of warms the cockles. So, <laughs> so, so that was a formative film yes. for you. It's why okay. anytime I'm in the bedroom, I have to wear a jock strap. It's probably because of that movie. Uh, and a hockey stick has to be nearby. So nearby within eyesight. Within eyesight, because you never know when the puck's coming your way. You never know. <laughs> Julia's having. Julia's trying to. <laughs> Julia's just trying to breathe through the pain. This episode is me just trying to get Julia to hyperventilate at some point. I mean, it's not difficult. Research but. has shown that the listeners don't like when I snort into the microphone. So, <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, one fact you you might enjoy is uh, there was one Canadian actor who Swayze kind of pointed out, and he thought he was just so good at playing goalie. He's like, I can't believe they hired a pro athlete to be in this movie. It's really cool. Introduced himself. In fact, he was just a Canadian actor, and his and it was his first role, and his name, Keanu Reeves. <gasps> yes. <laughs> I was going to guess that. Yep, it's Keanu Reeves. I can't Reeves, name so, another yeah. 80s Canadian actor. And he would just work with him again. Just goes to show how good Keanu Reeves is at literally everything. Yeah. Yeah, he is. That's what I'm saying. He's, he is the man. Um after doing some stage work, dance work, TV roles, film roles, odd jobs, New York City to LA, all that stuff that we talked about, his life changed forever in 1987 when he took on his most famous role in Dirty Dancing. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, loosely based on writer Eleanor Bergstein's life, the film followed a young woman during a summer of self-discovery who falls in love with a street-tough dance instructor with a heart of gold, played by, obviously, Swayze. And he actually almost missed out on this part uh, because of his nagging knee issues and not wanting to be typecast uh, as a dancer, he wrote no dancing on his resume. And uh, at first he was dismissed right away because they said, well, we need a dancer. This guy says no dancing. So performers like Billy Zane, Val Kilmer, Benicio Del Toro tried out, but none of them had any chemistry with Gray. So they decided we're going to call Swayze back. Um, The chemistry between him and Jennifer Gray was so undeniable from the start uh, that they loved the idea, but she rebelled because of the tension left over from Red Dawn. So she's like, I don't want to work with him. Don't cast him. I'm already in the movie. But they had a really long conversation at the casting office for like an hour. And then I guess they came out sort of wiping the tears from their eyes. And they sort of got over everything, finished the screen test, did the famous lift that's at the end of the movie. And the rest is history. Did he know the movie was called Dirty Dancing when he submitted his resume? And he wrote no dancing. (laughs) Well, he did. And... um, he didn't like the the title oh, at okay. all because he thought that people were going to think it was like a porn or something. Right. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. And um, and they had a, an original title, and I believe it was I Was a Teenage Mambo Queen because the writer actually was a teenage mambo queen. And that's sort of... She always says that the movie was loosely based on her life, but it's basically her life. She had a Jewish, mm. a Jewish do- doctor who was a dad. She was Jewish. Her dad was a doctor. They went to the Catskills. She took dance lessons. And so, I don't know, you can kind of figure it out for yourself, but... Um, so the film was made on a shoestring budget, which a lot of people don't know by Vestron video, a production company known for making schlock films, uh, for the VHS market, ones that I love, but still (laughs) schlock films. Uh, it would become a massive success though, catapulting Swayze into stardom that he never dreamed would happen. 
Photography took place in Lake Lure, North Carolina and Mountain Lake, Virginia, standing in for the Catskills. A lot of people don't know that they didn't film in the Catskills because the Catskills was so busy and they just, they were like, we don't want some movies filming here. It's not going to help us out. <laughs> yeah. And they found another place and it actually, you know, it was their loss. Um, and if we all want to go, you can actually visit the Mountain Lake Lodge and stay in Baby's Cabin, see other sites from the movie. There's a, a memorial rock with an inscription for Swayze. Uh, the lakes there, the gazebo, you can see everything and they have dance competitions and all that kind of fun stuff. So wow. uh, you can go and visit. Um, this is sort of along the lines of what Julia was saying. Swayze hated the line, nobody puts baby in the corner. He didn't want to say it. He thought it was really stupid. Uh, but when he saw a screening of the film, he eventually realized it was the right choice. And when people said that they loved it and they repeated it, he knew he was wrong. Uh, the film earned $170 million on a budget of less than $5 million, And when it was released on video, it became the first film to sell a million copies on video. Wow. Uh, oh, wow. Yes. And uh, equally as successful was the film's soundtrack that mixed classic hits and modern songs. It spent 18 weeks at number one on the Billboard 200, went platinum 11 times, selling more than 32 million copies worldwide, and featured the songs Hungry Eyes by Eric Carmen, She's Favorite. Like the Wind by Patrick, Patrick Swayze, and of course, I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warner that won the Oscar for Best Original Song. Amazing. Now, yeah. full disclosure, this is not my favorite movie. Oh, I'm sure, <laughs> I think, yes. I think I watched it like too late. Like I should have watched it when I was a high schooler when I was like, Oh, you know, like young love and like, Oh, this is what's abortion. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. But <laughs> Julia's cracking up at me, but I, I think I watched it like too late and I was like, who are these people? I'm irritated by all of this. Like I've heard this song a billion times. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Although, I mean, Patrick Swayze is so magnetic. That was, there's no, I mean, my favorite Patrick Swayze movie is roadhouse, but we'll get there. Sure. We'll get there, yes. Um, yeah. Kind of speaking to what you were just saying, um, one aspect of the film that made it special was that it spoke openly and honestly about abortion, framing mm-hmm. the story in a time period when it wasn't legal while making a commentary on why it was safe, uh, why it was great to have safe access to reproductive care and why it's so important for women. Um, abortion rights activists actually called Dirty Dancing the gold standard for cinematic portrayals of abortion when it came out. Uh, wow. And Clear, Clearacel, the acne product, was an original sponsor of the film, but they requested the abortion storyline be cut, but writer Eleanor Bergstein and the producers refused and then decided to market it themselves. Wow, what a thing that you could get your movie sponsored by a skincare company. And I'm sure that that's not unusual, but hearing that is so strange. They had such a small budget. Yeah, true. true. And they wanted to appeal to all the teens. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there was an episode of the movies that made us on the Netflix mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. that they did Dirty Dancing. And I was just going to say, you should watch that. Yeah, that was fun. Really if you can good. get over the, the very kinetic editing that they do for style, mm-hmm. if you don't mind yeah. that, it's, it's very enjoyable. Uh, following Dirty Dancing, Swayze and his wife, uh, Lisa Niemi traveled to the Namib desert. So taking a left turn here to get away from all the fans and everything. Um, they start opposite each other in the post-apocalyptic film, Steel Dawn. And uh, this marked the first time that they acted in a movie together. She portrayed Kasha, a widowed mother living in the desert who has a system to create clean water and is under attack, but is saved by the help of a traveling warrior named Nomad, played by Swayze. Uh, This film, along with 1988's Tiger Warsaw, was a drama about addiction. Both of them didn't really do him any favors, but again, Mm -hmm. he was trying to be as different as possible because he got very, very popular uh, after Dirty Dancing, stalked, all that kind of stuff, and he just wanted to get out and do something else. Uh, in 1989, along with the film Next of Kin, Swayze starred in what is also my personal favorite of his oeuvre, uh, Roadhouse, 
where he plays New York City bouncer Dalton, who's paid to come and clean up a dive bar in Jasper, Missouri, called The Double Deuce. Uh, the film is over the top in its acting, action, oh, so and good. ridiculousness. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was produced by noted action producer Joel Silver, who did Lethal Weapon. Oh, you know what? That makes perfect sense. Yes. A lot of explosions. It's, oh, it's great. It's like campy and wild and over the top and the acting is insane. Oh, it's just. Does someone like rip somebody's throat out or something? They do. Yeah, they rip someone's throat yeah. out. Uh, I could I could probably talk about this whole movie, the entire <laughs> podcast. Um, there's there's a lot of great things about the movie. Like it, uh, it's basically like a Western. If you if you watch it as as if it's a Western, it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A loner goes to a small town, fixes the problem, leaves. Um, but yeah, there's a, a guy who's sort of a tough of the big bad of the town, Brad Wesley, and they have a, a massive fight at the end. It's like one of the best fight scenes ever. And there's a move. It's the most iconic scene of the film at the climax. Uh, it's Swayze and actor Marshall Teague. Dalton is forced to use a self-defense move he swore he would never use again because he killed a man yes. with it and is ripping yeah. someone's throat out. That, yeah. Which is like, which is like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like if you get to yellow, if you're, if your kid gets into karate or martial arts or whatever, and they get to like yellow belt, then they get to learn the, the infamous throat ripping move that, you know, you have to be careful with. Like, my, one of my like, favorite lines of the movie is he's in a diner with Sam Elliott, who plays his mentor, Wade Garrett, and he's he's traumatized by the past and, and what happened with, uh, with you know, pulling the guy's throat out or whatever at a different town. And um, Sam Elliott's like, you know, you can't dwell on the past anymore. You met this nice woman. You, sh- you know, forget about it. And he, and he gets really serious. And he's like, if someone pulls a gun on you and puts it in your face, you got two choices, die or kill the motherfucker. And it's like, I get it. <laughs> yes. I get it. <laughs> That's why you got to rip throats out. Rip his throat out. Uh, okay. And here's here's a couple trivia facts about it. Um, Jeff Healy Band, a Canadian blues band, really great. They did most of the soundtrack. The cinematography was by Dean Cundy. He's a famous cinematographer. He shot Jurassic Park, the Back to the Future trilogy, and Halloween, the original Halloween. Um, it ended up being a commercial success, but actually found a new life on cable because three decades after it was released, it, it would sit atop Variety's 2020 list of 100 movies that saved cable. So chances are... If you turn on your TV wow. at any given time, Roadhouse will be on. Mm-hmm. After Roadhouse, uh, Swayze was going to star in Predator 2, which ultimately went to Danny Glover uh, because of some injuries, doing his own stunts, broken ribs, etc. He decided, you know what, I'm going to try an audition for this movie called Ghost and play the character Sam Wheat. So Ghost was 1990. Yes. It was written by Bruce Joel Rubin, uh, who would go on to win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. And Ghost, if you haven't seen it, followed the banker Sam Wheat, who is murdered and finds himself as a ghost. So he tries to reconnect with his former love, Molly, played by Demi Moore, and gets help from Otome Brown, a fake psychic played by Whoopi Goldberg, to help him find his murderer. Uh, If you remember the movie, Goldberg was really great in it. Her performance won her the Oscar for Supporting Actress that year, and she was the first black woman to receive an Oscar in 50 years since the time Hattie McDaniel had won uh, becoming the first black woman to win in any category for supporting actress for Gone with the Wind. Wow. So See, a, yeah. I knew that she was like the first after 50 years, but I could have sworn it was for um, The Color Purple, which is a much more like Tony, yeah. like very serious film as opposed to Ghost, <laughs> I, which right, is exactly. a perfectly good film, but like, a, you know, right. it's a romance, you know. Well, yeah, they hardly ever give out Oscars for comedy too. Or, well, her performance was comedy, but... Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Color Purple famously, um, being the Spielberg fan, uh, 11 nominations, expected to win many of them, showed up, most of them in purple, 
didn't win anything. Zero. So so that's just, if, for trivia, that's a great one. So 11 nominations, if you ever get asked about that. Uh, it was Ridiculous. tied with a Shirley MacLaine movie, and I'm blanking on the name of it right now. But It wasn't all, Terms of Endearment, was it? No, it was uh, also 11 nominations and uh, didn't win. It's the only two movies in history, um, I believe, that got that many nominations and didn't win. Turning The Jeez. Turning Point is what it's called. Oh, uh, so she won the Oscar, uh, which is a big deal. And Whoopi Goldberg has said many times in interviews that the reason she got the part was Patrick Swayze told producers and the studio that he wouldn't do the movie unless Whoopi was Otome Brown because he was a huge fan of hers. <laughs> so he used his power. He used his uh, Hollywood privilege there. Mm-hmm. The film also saw uh, then real life couple Bruce Willis and Demi Moore almost cast as the lead characters. But get this, Bruce Willis turned down the role because he didn't <gasps> like the idea of playing a character that's dead the whole time and didn't think the audience would buy it. <laughs> Go figure. Really? That's true. <laughs> yes. Spoiler alert, by the way, everybody. <laughs> Spoiler. Uh, and uh, Demi Moore, too, actually, there was a thing um, with her where she had, like, really long curly hair when she auditioned, and she just showed up to set one day and was like, I think my character has a boy cut, and that's what she has in the movie. And they said, okay, that's her hair then, I guess. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, Demi Moore, I mean, 1990 Demi Moore was like the most beautiful woman on the planet. Like she could have showed up with a paper bag over her head and they would have been like, right. yes, you look great. <laughs> and I guess she could cry in command, or at least it was rumored that she can cry in command. And that's what she mm-hmm. did in her audition. Uh, they kind of sold them. So uh, as with most of his roles, Swayze had to fight uh, to get his role and convince the director, David Zucker, that he could shed his action image. David Zucker of Airplane fame was the director, and when he saw Swayze in Roadhouse, he came out of the theater and said, over my dead body, I'm not casting this guy, but he ended up uh, convincing him, though, and he got the role. So Ghost was a gigantic hit, grossed $505 million on a budget of $22 million, and became the highest-grossing film of 1990, beating out Home Alone and Pretty Woman. Oh, wow. And uh, as many might know, the soundtrack famously featured the song Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers. Yes. Yes, which is actually from an original movie called Unchained. And the song, if you listen to the lyrics, is about someone who's yearning for uh, the outside because he's in jail because that's what it was in the original movie. Mm. 1990 also saw Swayze host SNL with musical guest Mariah Carey. The episode featured one of the most famous sketches in SNL history when Swayze and Chris Farley compete to win the last spot of the Chippendales dance crew with Farley outdancing Swayze to Loverboy's Working for the Weekend. Um, Bob Odenkirk famously hated that sketch. Did he really? I didn't know that. Yes, he did. He thought it was, um, cause he and Chris Farley were tight and he was a writer on the show at the time, I think. And he said that he just thought it was a cheap visual gag. And he thought that it was shitty that the whole premise of it was making fun of Chris Farley's body and that kind of thing. Like something like that. We would never oh, yeah. like air today, but it is super, I mean, it is very funny and very famous, but um, yeah, Bob Odenkirk hated it. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. Open about that, yeah. That's so funny. And it, yeah, it's crazy how that one has sort of stood the test of time for a long time, probably because Chris Farley is gone now. But um, but yeah, I uh, yeah. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. A little trivia for you. There you go. I know, you're, you're giving me stuff. I'm not to write, I can't put it in the book now, but maybe if there's a sequel some, some <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. time down the road. <laughs> Just one page. Here's an extra trivia fact you missed. <laughs> Uh, ending what is perhaps one of the best runs in uh, cinema history by any actor, Swayze. Next project was 1991's uh, Point Break, directed by Catherine Bigelow. Film followed Johnny Utah, played by Keanu Reeves, chasing a, a gang of bank robbing surfers known as the ex-presidents. And Swayze played a Zen surfer guru named uh, Bodhi. Uh, has one of the best mm-hmm. chase scenes in uh, in history, I think, with no cars. Um, this one, Swayze insisted on doing all the skydiving, but... Uh, 
but the producers were like, no, you can't do that um, for insurance <laughs> reasons. So they allowed him sure. to do one skydiving scene, which is in the movie. If you remember, he falls backwards out of a plane. They let him do that one on camera. Uh, so after Point Break, uh, Swayze and Lisa, his wife, uh, got pregnant. And Swayze was elated to be a father and recreate the tender role his father played in his life. They went in for a three-month ultrasound, but she unfortunately learned she had a miscarriage. Oh. Uh, tore them both up deeply and was very devastating. They figured they would wait a little bit. They had a lot of time, but eventually after trying uh, a lot, uh, they couldn't get pregnant, pregnant. And then uh, after exploring options like donors and adoption, um, it just didn't happen. So they, they often said that their animals that they raised on their ranch mm. and the horses they raised were like their children. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so going from here, I mean, from the 90s to the 2000s, um, there are a couple big films that he was in. Some, like I said, were kind of misses. He was in a film called City of Joy where he played a doctor from America going to India to help different patients. It was a transformational experience for Swayze being in India and filming there. Um, but um, the film underperformed at the box office, kind of made him spiral into a dark place. Uh, he ended mm. up finding alcohol once more, unfortunately. So there's a movie after that called Fatherhood, sort of a family adventure comedy film. Uh, on the, and, and on that film, uh, he did something he never did before, which was sort of let his professionalism go a little bit. So he was hung over a lot. He would mm. be asleep during takes. Uh, he'd have to get woken up by the actors. So it was sort of a, a bad time for him. So he, he checked into rehab. After he was done, he starred as Pecos Bill in Disney's Tall Tales, who was able to do things that he loved, like riding horses and calf roping, all that good stuff. 1995 uh, was sort of his next big hit, which was Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Yes. Uh, oh, directed by uh, Bieben Kidron and uh, starred Swayze, Wesley Snipes, John Leguizamo, Stalker Channing, and Chris Penn. Followed three drag queens who go on a road trip to compete in a drag competition, but their car breaks down in rural Nebraska. Um, this was a coveted role of Vita Boheme that Swayze played. Everyone wanted it. It was down to him, Rob Lowe, and Matt, Dim Matt Dillon. Um, the film was produced by Steven Spielberg, who fell in love with the script after giving it to his comedy barometer, Robin Williams, who performed the entire script word for word for him on a plane ride once to <laughs> test it out. Uh, and uh, Swayze desperately wanted the role because Vita's story reminded him of being in Texas, kind of being looked down upon. So he hired his own makeup people to transform him into a woman. Did wow. the audition, walked to the director around New York City uh, to see if he could pass as a woman, and, and it worked. Uh, so now, this film... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Mm, oh, did it yeah. work? <laughs> well, it's New York. It's New York, right? Yeah, Who's going to say true, anything? That's true. Like, no one's going to say anything. Yeah, no one's going to be like, you look like a dude, you know? You get punched. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, and actually, speaking of that, his makeup artist for the movie was Meryl Streep's makeup artist since 1982, Roy Helland. So, <laughs> little fact for you. Pedigree. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, so this would be his uh, third and only or third and final Golden Globe nomination. He was nominated for Dirty Dancing and Ghost. His drag coach on the film was Candace Kane, who is an actress and first transgender woman with a major role on primetime TV for her role as Carmelita on Dirty Sexy Money on ABC. Yeah, she's gorgeous. She still yes. looks great. Uh, and then uh, if you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag, Ra drag Race, uh, she had a cameo in the film. He had a cameo in the film uh, wearing a bedazzled Confederate flag dress in the opening, which <laughs> yeah. is pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll skip over a few films. He did um, uh, Black Dog, sort of his last action movie. Um, he actually got hurt again. He was doing a movie called Letters from a Killer where he was doing a scene with a horse going at full speed. The horse was going towards a tree, threw him off. He was going to hit the tree with his head, probably be killed, but he, he switched <gasps> his body and landed with his legs, broke both of his legs and tore tendons in his shoulder. His oh femur broke. God. Yeah. So again, another massive injury. 
Jeez. Uh, so after that injury, you could kind of tell a shift in some of his work. He didn't do a lot of action stuff. He did a lot of supporting roles. He did a movie called Waking Up in Reno with Billy Bob Thornton, Charlize Theron, One Last Dance, directed by uh, his wife, Lisa, 1114, a dark comedy that I used to rent out at Blockbuster, uh, King <laughs> Solomon's Mines adaptation, uh, Keeping Mum with Rowan Atkinson, Maggie Smith, and Kristen Scott Thomas. And then his last film was Powder Blue, uh, where he mm. played a strip club owner named Velvet Larry, starring <laughs> Jessica Biel. Velvet Larry is a great name for a strip He's club. He's had owner. some really great character names over. Yes. over his there's career a lot too. There's a lot. Truman Gates is one I didn't mention. That's a good one. Oh, uh, that's good. Uh, so the role at the end of his career that he's probably most remembered for in the, lat- the latter half of his career is the villainous motivational speaker and closeted pedophile Jim Cunningham and Donnie Darko. If you don't remember, the film follows Donnie, a troubled teenager who almost dies in a freak accident and starts to have visions of a mysterious figure in rabbit costume named Frank who tells him the world's going to end in 28 days. I forgot he was in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he had a small part in there, yeah. Um, I started going through um, Swayze's kind of IMDb page a little bit ago, and I was like, have I seen any Patrick Swayze movies? <laughs> yes, I've seen Point Break. And jo- and I was like, Josh, what's your favorite um, Patrick Swayze movie? And he said, oh, Donnie Darko. Like, he knows. <laughs> that, that is like, a Josh movie, thinking. for sure. Yeah. Donnie Darko is a college, like our generation college boy movie left, right, and center. Oh yeah, it's like it's like the modern Pulp Fiction. Everyone had Pulp Fiction on their their yeah. wall in college in the '90s, and yeah, same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had to watch it with a lot of boyfriends. Not not that I had a lot of boyfriends at one time. You know what I mean? Like, and then they take of... your arm from over your shoulder and be like, "So, what do you think it means?" <laughs> exactly. Right? And then yeah. they'd like yeah. play that really slow version of the song. Yeah. <laughs> All around me, <laughs> Yep. It was on every mix CD that was made mm-hmm. for me. And the boyfriends were like freaking out when they heard there's a director's cut. There's got to be answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, one we're thing just you might. ragging on Josh. Uh, sorry, Josh. Uh, so Swayze <laughs> wanted to take a flamethrower to his image. That's why he did this movie. Uh, and one fun fact about it is all the fake commercials you see in the movie that he does for his attitude lessons, Jim Cunningham, were filmed at Swayze's own personal ranch and he used his own personal wardrobe from the 80s so that he would look really slimy. <laughs> I love that. That's a great choice. Uh, so towards the end of his, his career here, um, he would cheat death one more time in 2000. He was flying a, a Cessna plane that he owned from California to New Mexico. And he remembers setting the plane on autopilot. And then all of a sudden he woke up and everything was spinning. He actually passed out. So the, the plane was making a landing um, in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. He, he landed on a dirt road, hit a pole on the way down. Uh, initially, reports said that he was intoxicated because there was liquor on the plane, but it was stored away. But the reason for the crash was uh, he had passed out and suffered from hypoxia. Oh, because of the pressure. Oxygen. So he, and they said your lungs are so bad because you smoke about sixty cigarettes a day, which is insane. Oh. That it just didn't help you, and you had a hypoxia and you passed out. Oh my god, sixty cigarettes a day? Yeah, three packs a day, and sometimes up to sixty cigarettes. Yeah, that's just. It's just like the amount of time. That's a debaucherous you know? <laughs> amount of cigarettes. That is yeah. a debaucherous <laughs> amount of cigarettes. Thank you, Julia. <laughs> and it's it's really saddening too because if you look at his career, if you watch his movies from the 80s and then the 90s and the 2000s, you can hear his voice going from the cigarettes. Mm. You can see yeah, in his yeah. skin. He still had the dancer's body like his whole life, but the, the skin you could tell from the cigarettes. Yeah, he started looking very gaunt. Yeah. Yeah. So late December 2007, uh, Swayze completed the pilot for a television show called The Beast for A&E Network. When visiting some friends, he noticed some acid reflux issues he hadn't had before, some new burning sensations, uh, but he didn't think anything of it. 
A couple weeks later, he became jaundiced, had more bathroom issues, and started losing weight. So in January 2008, a doctor diagnosed him with pancreatic cancer, and a CAT scan revealed he had a mass on his pancreas, and it spread to his liver, stage four. Oh my gosh. Uh, and sort of an unfortunate aspect of it is before he could even tell his family, his mom, who was still alive, National Enquirer showed up to his mom's house and asked <gasps> her how she felt knowing her son had pancreatic cancer before he told her. <sighs> that's, that's awful. Oh, my God. That's awful. Yeah. That's terrible. Really sad. Uh, so A&E um, had already greenlit a full season of The Beast to shoot in Chicago, and Swayze let them all know, this is what's going on. I would want to do the show. I don't want to quit. Um, and, you know, credit to them. They They said, okay, let's do it. So... Uh, right before the shoot started, he and Lisa renewed their wedding vows. Um, and that fall, he made an appearance at a stand-up for cancer event, receiving a standing ovation where he said, I dream that the word cure will no longer be followed by the words, it's, it's impossible. Together, we can make a world where cancer no longer means living with fear, without hope, or worse. Um, he would go on to film the entire 13-episode series, 12 to 18-hour days, during 10 months of chemo, and he never complained once. He wanted to prove to people that he could defy the odds of pancreatic cancer and beat the expected timeline, which he did. He would fight the disease for 20 long months until he passed away on September 14th, 2009, at the age of 57, the same age his father was when he died. <gasps> oh, my God. That literally gave me chills. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, oh, so sad. Yeah, it is. Um, since then, his widow, Lisa Niemi, has been a vocal advocate for the work that the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network has done to help those afflicted with the disease. When asked how he wanted to be remembered, Swayze said, my work is my legacy. So for a career that included films grossing over $1 billion at the box office, three Golden Globe nominations, stints on Broadway in the West End, a song that landed number three on Billboard's Hot 100, a dedication to conservation efforts and a loving marriage to his wife and creative partner, his legacy seems to indicate, and pardon the pun, that he had the time of his life. And that mm. is a little bit about Patrick Swayze. That was so lovely. He oh. seemed like such a great guy. And what a, like, yeah, what a wild and varied career he had, too. Yeah. Yes. That I, yeah. I never really took the time to think about, like, how many left turns and mm -hmm. different types of characters he wanted to play. And, and obviously, he didn't want to just be, you know, we might know him best as, like, the leading man in, in something. Mm -hmm. But obviously, he... He had a lot of decisions and he was able to do so many other things. And he was so elegant too. For someone who was so huge, like he was he was obviously like very tall and had a very like um very distinctive look, very like sharp cheekbones and right. like just a really huge presence. He was such an elegant person, not only when he was like dancing, but just kind of his presence was so kind of beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what it could have been like if he had lived even a little bit longer, like what else he could or would have done, you know? I Yeah, I, I was thinking about that too. And I actually wrote a bunch of stuff like that for the book. They didn't include it, but it was like, what if he was in Fast and the Furious or John Wick? What would that be like? Yeah. Um, and one thing that's really interesting is I think a lot of people don't, they know he's a good dancer, but uh, for Dirty Dancing, he actually dumbed down most of the dancing because Johnny, Johnny Castle wasn't as good as a dancer as Swayze was. So he was much better <laughs> than Johnny Castle was. The only flourish he threw in that movie was the pirouette that he does at the end with the big spin because he wanted to show a little bit of his skill. But other than that, though, he mm -hmm. kind of dumped it down. And um, yeah, he's just, uh, like you said, he's a renaissance man for sure. Amazing. And uh, tell everybody again where we could get your book and how we can pre-order it. Yes. So if you want, maybe the easiest way to do it is you can go to uh, my website, which is neilefisher.com, N-E-A-L-E-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. 
com slash books and there has has all the links there amazon goodreads barnes and noble bookshop.org um or you can go to the publisher itself chronicle books so you can get it anywhere you'd like target um but yeah i'd really appreciate it if you uh pick up a copy they always say that the pre-orders and first week of release are super important to an author to sort of see the success that the book might be on the trajectory so if you can help me out there that would be great i'd really appreciate it and if you'd like a signed book plate. If you can't come to a signing that I'm able to schedule, you can email me at beingpatrickswayze at gmail.com and I'll, I'm going to get special book plates that I'll sign and personalize and mail to you. Oh. Uh, I, I want one. I'm getting one. I, well, I'll see you in person a... though. I'm going to come. Oh, okay. Because I'm there already. I'm here now. I just run a separate <laughs> Skype feed. That's, that's true. That's true. I was going to say, I'm going to write, as soon as we finish this episode, I'm going to write that email address and be like, hi. This is Laura Tegler. And of course, we will post these links on our on Absolutely. our social needs and um, mm-hmm. to make you. things, you know, a little more streamlined for folks who didn't yeah. write down all of because the, there's a lot of ways you can spell Neil and Fisher, you know, that's true. I've, I've seen them all. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> sure yeah. you have. Oh, um, my gosh. Thank you, Neil. That was so informative and so lovely. Thank you so much. You are welcome. I do want to say for the listeners, um, I, I know this, I'm sure you do when you listen, but the amount of work that Julia and Lauren put into the show um, every week to, to come up with a book report is just, it's just a ton of work. So please thank them for all that they do because um, it, it was a lot of work to put it together, not even as much work that they do. Uh, and you guys are just, you're rock stars. So. Oh, Neil, you're too kind. Neil, <laughs> I'm so glad we drafted you to this podcast. <laughs> You're so kind. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And and the work is not done. I hear you have also created a quiz for us. And that sounds like a segue. And yes, I did. <laughs> Great. All right. So this quiz, originally it was going to be named Dirty Dancing, questions that mm-hmm. are dirty and questions about dancing. Then I was going to name it Dirty Dancing Roadhouse, questions that were about dirty dancing roads and houses. I only got to two questions that were road and house. So it's mostly dirty and a little bit of dancing. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so yeah, well... <laughs> Buckle it. Buckle up. Okay. (laughs) Question one. Dirty. Based on a novel of the same name, a code name for a male hustler or prostitute, this film from 1969 is the only X-rated film to win an Oscar for Best Picture. It was quickly downgraded to R a year after release, but lives on not only in cinema history, but also because in The Muppets, there is a character named Rizzo the Rat, whose name is derived from Enrico Razzo Rizzo, one of the lead characters of the film. Question two, dance. What iconic dancer whose career began in vaudeville before taking over Hollywood with such films as Top Hat, Easter Parade, Daddy Long Legs, and Funny Face lent his name to a large ballroom dance franchise chain of studios? He was never asked to clean any of the studios due to him being a legend, but also because they never had a functioning dirt devil he could use. Question three, dirty. With a battle hymn not quite as memorable as the one of the Republic, in 1940, House Representative from Oklahoma Lyle Boren denounced what Pulitzer Prize-winning novel that inspired the boss, Bruce Springsteen, to write a song called The Ghost of Tom Joad? Number four, dance. In the Silver Linings playbook, Pat Jr. and Tiffany, portrayed by actors Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, dance at a competition to a mashup of songs by Stevie Wonder, The White Stripes, and Dave Brubeck. Adding drama to the proceedings, Robert De Niro's character, Pat Sr., makes a parlay bet about the score of the dance and the outcome of a football game between what two NFL teams in the NFC East who have had a bitter 62-year-long rivalry with games won on a wing and a prayer, 
or more accurately, on a wing and a star. Number five, dirty. Depending on whether they contain more ice material or rock debris, some scientists, and perhaps the lead singer of Paramore, who knows, call these icy bodies of frozen gases, rocks, and dust that orbit the sun dirty snowballs or snow dirt balls. Number six, dance. The Ghost Dance War was a U.S. military reaction to the spread of the Ghost Dance movement and part of a further suppression of the Native American way of life. The movement led to a particularly bloody massacre of over 250 Lakota Sioux Native Americans who were mostly unarmed women, children, and elders, December 29, 1890, in South Dakota. What was the name of this event, named after the creek where it took place? Number 7. Dirt Known for his minimal and conceptual art, this American artist, whose name you can say loud and there's music playing, is perhaps best known for the installation called The Lightning Field, a land artwork in New Mexico. But he's also responsible for the New York Earth Room that first opened in two locations in Germany. The work, currently on long-term view, involves 250 cubic yards of pungent, fertile dirt on the floor of a second-floor space in the Soho neighborhood of New York. Number 8. Dirty. Though he may forever be known as the supportive dad, curator of comedic clips, or narrator from the future, much of this comedian's work veered darker with projects like directing the Norm MacDonald cult classic Dirty Work to writing his own memoir titled Dirty Daddy, The Chronicles of a Family Man Turned Filthy Comedian. Number nine, Road. Here's where the roadhouse comes in. Starting in Seattle and ending in Boston, at 3,021 miles long, this interstate and transcontinental freeway is the longest in the United States. Yinzers probably want the name changed to Interstate TJ Watt, and most social nonagenarians would prefer Top of the Shop Highway. And number 10, House. Often referred to as Mayan Revival Architecture, Ennis House, a city, state, and national landmark in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, was featured in Ridley Scott's Blade Runner as the exterior for Deckard's apartment as was designed by what Prairie School architect? We'll give you all a minute to think about this and then we will be back with your answers. She's like the wind through my tree She rides the night Next to me She leads me through moonlight Only to burn me with the sun She's taking my heart But she doesn't know what she's done Feel the breath in my face Somebody close to me Can't look in her eyes She's loving my league Just a fool to believe I have anything she needs uh, This was a very good quiz and there were a couple of uh, questions that I just put in brackets Julia because <laughs> I knew because I knew she would get that 
<laughs> all right. All right. I think I, I think I'm feeling good about yeah. a couple of these. Yeah. Yeah. Try not to make it too hard, so hopefully. No, I love this. I these are no, wonderfully written questions. Oh, thank yes. you. All right, lay it on us. All right. So number one in the category of dirty, I'm looking for the Best Picture winner, who was the only X-rated film to win an Oscar for Best Picture, and also inspired Rizzo the Rat's name on the Muppets. That's Lauren's favorite Muppet. Uh, my favorite Muppet is um, is the King Prawn, is uh, oh. Pepe, Pepe the King Prawn, <laughs> <laughs> who is often seen with Rizzo, so I can, I can understand true. your sorry. confusion. Sorry, yeah, it's all right. I'm, I'm not as good of a friend as I thought I was. Um, that, that's right. Midnight Cowboy. That is Midnight Cowboy. That is correct. And I do want to see Muppet Cowboy starring Pepe and Rizzo the Rat. That would be a great oh, Muppet movie. That would be very good. I'm going to write a letter. Write a letter to the Henson Company, see what they can do. <laughs> Number two is in dance. I was looking for the iconic dancer who owns, or lent his name at least, to a large ballroom dance franchise and was in films like Top Hat and Easter Parade. Um, I'll take this one because I have a good trivia fact about Fred Astaire. That is correct. Yeah. Um, so in uh, the, f- the fabulous Christmas movie Holiday Inn, starring him and Bing Crosby, there's a great dance scene where Fred Astaire shows up drunk on New Year's, and he da- does like a full dance, like hammered, like grabs a girl and does like tap dancing and all this stuff, and people go crazy because he's supposed to. He al- he's also playing like a famous dancer, but Fred Astaire in real life said that he he took two shots of whiskey before the first take, and then a shot of whiskey after every subsequent take, so that he would be legitimately drunk. And the take that they used for the movie was the eighth take. <laughs> oh my god. So- <laughs> So definitely look that up, that dance up at YouTube because uh, one hand it's uh, amazingly choreographed. It's so cool. And two, he was legitimately like hammered because he was a small man um, and he performed it like flawlessly. It's great. It's a great scene. I love that story. Uh, Tom Holland's playing Fred Astaire in a biopic. Yes, I heard about that. I'm very curious how that's going to go. Me too. I'm a little, yeah, I'm curious as well. That's a good word for Mm -hmm. it. Uh, Question three was in the category of dirty. Uh, I'm just looking for the Pulitzer Prize winning novel that inspired Bruce Springsteen to sing a song called The Ghost of Tom Joad. Is this the Grapes of Wrath? The Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, it that's is what the I Grapes of Wrath. Yep. Perfect. Correct. Never read it uh, personally, but uh, I read it in high school. And at the end, uh, the daughter has to like breastfeed her either her father or her brother or something like that. <sighs> and I remember saying in class, like, why didn't she get a cup? Like, <laughs> <laughs> So Why have, not a I, cup? have I missed the point of this book for my entire life? Are the grapes actually what she's using to milk? The grapes of wrath? <laughs> I don't know. I still oh. don't know what the grapes mean. I don't think so. Can you call it's... your boyfriend from college? What does it mean? <laughs> yeah. We learned this, guys. It's a lyric from, I think, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, actually. Oh, it is. I wrote like, the question. I put oh, that in there. What am I yeah. talking about? Yes, <laughs> yeah. of course. With my terrible clue there. When the grapes of wrath are sown or something. Oh, okay. So it doesn't have anything to do with breast milk. No, I guess not. Well, maybe in some people's fan fiction of the grapes. Sure, maybe I mean, people are honestly, writing yeah. fan fiction. I don't think I don't a lot of Gen Z's writing grapes around <laughs> fanfic right now. There, I think you'd be surprised. There's no Steinbeck uh, Tumblr. <laughs> uh, so, question four is in the category of dance. I, I basically gave you a lot of nonsense to get you to the question, which was: Can you name the two NFL teams in the NFC East who have a very long rivalry? This is um, a Julia question. I really, really loved Silver Linings Playbook. And I know that a lot of people 
like talk smack about it, but I loved it and I loved the book as well. Um, and in the movie, it is the Eagles and the Cowboys. That is correct. Yeah. In the uh, book, it's the Eagles oh. and the Giants. Oh, really? Oh, I which did, is that's a great fact. I didn't even know it was made off of a book. So that's yeah. The book is really is really well written. Like it gets really more into Pat's backstory, and like this, uh, this family's just so great. And it's I definitely recommend reading the book too. That, but there's a whole there's a whole thing where like Pat, you know, he's he's bad luck against you know his dad is just wants them to win this game and pat's um motto is excelsior like as he comes out of his his rehab and it turns out that like excelsior is like the motto on the new york state flag and so he's like you jinxed us and you know it was a big big thing but oh no i love that movie me too i think it's uh, probably de niro's best performance like in his later years as he's gotten Mm. older so good in that movie Question five was in the category of dirty. I wanted to know uh, what are the icy bodies of frozen gases, rocks, and dust called that orbit the sun known as dirty snowballs? What you got, space girl? I'm not space girl. I'm just married to space boy. I think it's a comet. (laughs) Oh, comet sounds good. It is a comet. Yep. Yes. Good job, Jewel. <laughs> yeah, the lead singer Paramore, I think her name is Haley. It is Haley. Yep. Oh, right. There it is. That's an A to C that I don't usually get. So thank you, Julia. I hugged Haley Williams once at a concert. <gasps> How did she smell? Did she smell good? Uh, yeah, I mean, she was very short, but um, she looked at me kind of weird. I was wearing a t-shirt that just said White Castle, and I was like, can I have a hug? And she's kind of like, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there's a picture. I'll, I'll give it to you. My, we all look crazed, and I felt bad for sure. her. She's so tiny, but um, she has just an amazing voice. Yeah, um, she really does. Yeah. Uh, number six was in dance. Uh, I'm looking for the name of the event. Uh where 250 Lakota Sioux Native Americans uh, were massacred by the U.S. military in 1890. Yeah, that's the um, that's the Wounded Knee Massacre. Yep, Wounded Knee Massacre, Battle of mm-hmm. Wounded Knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, one fact that I learned that was pretty uh, pretty disgusting, and you have to kind of separate mm-hmm. the art from the artist, but one of South Dakota's most vocal proponents of the wholesale extermination of all America's Native people, which was a quote, was local writer L. Frank Baum. Yes, that one, <gasps> who, who used his position as editor of a newspaper to publish and spread his intolerant views. Yikes. Yes. Wow. Several articles about how Native Americans should be extinct. Yeah. Damn, L. Frank Baum. <sighs> oh, yep. and everyone thought he was so whimsical. Well, that's it. Yep. Thrown away all of his books in my house. Yeah, it was, it was disappointing. <laughs> Uh, number seven was in dirt and I probably could have read this a little bit better, uh, with the clue, but I'm looking for the name of the artist responsible for the New York earthroom and the lightning field. Uh, the New York dirt room has fertile dirt on the floor of a second floor space in New York city. I'm heartbroken, but I don't know this. Um, the only person I can think of that creates like large scale installations is Christo, but that's, I did an episode on Christo and that's wasn't one of the artworks. You so did. I, I remember wrong. Christo. Yeah. If I did the, if th- these are song lyrics, would that help? Uh, whose name you can say loud and there's music playing. No, that probably doesn't help. You, so but... Ma- Maria, Maria, Walter Maria is the artist. <gasps> oh, I've never heard of this person. Oh, interesting. Ooh. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Walter. Maria. Yeah. So the lightning right. field, he set up, um, metal beams or something in uh what did i say new mexico and basically 
when lightning happens or when the light changes during the day, the different colors come out and it sounded pretty cool. But uh, yeah, this dirt cool. room has been there for years and years and you can just go there and look at this room full of dirt. And really wow. smell it, I bet. I bet it smells like really yeah. nice. Real pungent. I love, my mm-hmm. favorite thing I read about him was they said, where did you find the dirt for your art installation? He's like, I, I don't remember. <laughs> he's <like>, great. <laughs> I don't know. What? I don't know. The corner store, wherever you get dirt. And number eight was in the category of dirty. I was looking for the name of the comedian whose book is called Daddy, the Chronicles of a Family Man Turned Filthy Comedian. This is the late Bob Saget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that too. It is Bob Saget. Yep. Uh, if you haven't had a chance, uh, his his aristocrats joke is pretty great. It's very vulgar if you don't like the kind of comedy. But yeah, I um when that I remember when that movie came out and everybody was like talking about how Bob Saget's was the most disgusting version of it. I remember being like, not for me. No, maybe not for me. <laughs> it's 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 very dark. Um, yeah. And Gilbert Gottfried has a very dark one as well. Yeah. Number nine uh, was in Road. I was looking for the name of uh, the longest interstate and transcontinental freeway in the United States. That's I-90. It is I-90. Yep. I thought you'd enjoy the TJ Watt clue. I really appreciated that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're welcome. And top of the shop refers to the score of 90 in bingo. Oh. I didn't know that. I'm going to write that down. 90 (laughs) score bingo. All right. And our last question, uh, I'm looking for the name of the Prairie School architect responsible for Ennis House, which was used in Blade Runner. That's that motherfucker, Frank Lloyd Wright. You got it. Frank Lloyd yeah. Wright. <laughs> They're going to blurb Lauren for uh, Neil's next book all about Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> <laughs> it actually comes in a Frank Lloyd Wright like model you have to build and that's how you have to read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then on the inside, it's me. With a face like this. <laughs> Saying that motherfucker. Son of a bitch. What a good quiz. Thank you, Neil. This was this fantastic. Was Thank you for putting in the work to do this for our podcast. We loved it so much. I'm sure our listeners, our tens of listeners, will also love it. <laughs> I hope so. I, I'm, I was so happy to do the work, and I would have done 10 times as more for, for you because you're so special. So Aww. thank you. Oh, Thanks, no. Neil. Our favorite oh, podcast we, brother. Our favorite podcast brother, which we're happy to say out loud because it's not like they listen to this podcast. And, so. we, and we keep saying podcast brother because Neil is arguably the star of the Triviality Podcast, which Easily. you can also find wherever you listen to podcasts. Exactly. Please, if you haven't started listening, first of all, what are you doing? Secondly, check out Triviality wherever podcasts are sold. <laughs> and free. some say our best episodes uh, featuring you two. So come check those out. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, well, you got to get us on the show again so that we can talk some trash. Anytime you want. Yeah, we'll, do, we'll, do, a, uh, we'll do an old-fashioned uh, Yo Mama battle that uh, Wilmer Valderrama used to do on MTV. Fantastic. I'm down for it. I'll do it. And I've one more itching. time, one more time, mm-hmm. the title of Neil Fisher's book is? Che Guevara and How I Learned <laughs> to Stop Worrying. Uh, no, it is Being Patrick Swayze, Essential Teachings from the Master of the Mullet. Please go and check it out. We will definitely post um, links for pre-order and uh, on Goodreads and Amazon and all that stuff um, so that you can take a look. Uh, please pre-order because we are very proud of Neil and we're very proud of his product. 
So um, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Neil. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. We are definitely going to have you on the podcast again, please. I mean, you know, whenever you get a chance, whenever you got another book coming out, we're happy to do. I, I will be on here anytime, any place, any any day. Just well, we will. We're going to figure something out because this has been a joy. So um, thank you again. Thanks to everybody for listening, and uh, we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye.